Good morning, everyone. Um, we are seven weeks old, and today we start a brand new series. Is anyone excited about our brand new series? The series is entitled Here Now. Um, we've, for the first five weeks, we, we were in Wild Goose Chase. Uh, that was pretty, pretty awesome. Last week, we stopped for a moment, and we cast vision. Uh, we talked about uh, who we are, and uh, we told our entire journey, how we got here. I mean, there's a dream behind it, and we got to tie in the Bible and all that stuff, uh, how God led us here. It was my wife and seven other adults and our two kids, uh, and, and God has just been moving uh, over the course of a few months. It's been an amazing thing. And uh, we're just so excited and honored to see you all here, our first-time guests. Let's give them a hand, clap if this is your first time. We're so excited that you're here. Um, and we praise God for you. Thank you if, you're, if this is your second, third, fourth, fifth, seventh time. You've been in there a long time with us, and uh, we hope that you guys stick uh, in there. So, brand new series. I'm a preacher. I don't really uh, hang out with the salutations and the introductions too long. Uh, I just want to get into the word. New series is called Here Now. Uh, in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament, there were prophets, those that had the gift of uh, just foretelling God's word. A lot of times these foretellings would come in the form of uh, warnings or uh, messages of hope. Uh, and there are hundreds of prophecies about Jesus Christ and the birth of Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. And so Israel, they often, they were, they were looking for this hope, this Messiah, this deliverance from um, being in and out of oppression from enemy nations and subcultures. And so they were looking for a Messiah so that one day they would reign as a nation. And so a lot of prophets would say, your Messiah is coming. Uh, Isaiah said that uh, he would be born of a virgin. And there were just prophecy after prophecy. Then there would be some times where prophets would say, you know, repent, turn back to God. If you don't, this is what's going to happen. Turn from your sin, I'll heal your land. And so uh, a lot of times prophecy uh, has us in a place where we can look forward. There's an expectation that is set out front. Um, but, but prophecy functions a lot of times not to just have people look forward to this future hope. Like a lot of Christians have come to a place where we can't wait to get to heaven. You know, we, we can't wait to die and just get past this life and get to heaven because the Bible promises that when we pass away and when Jesus comes to redeem all things that there, there are going to be no tears, no pain, no debt, no divorce, no heartache. You know, and a lot of Christians are just sitting around waiting on that time to come. But prophecy was not primarily given just for out in the future. It was given to inform us as to how to engage today. And so the series isn't called like here now, meaning present, but it's called here now, like here now. And I think that uh, a lot of us are good at hearing, um, but hearing and, and listening are, are two different things. Right? We're, we're going to deal with that here for a few seconds. I'm going to have you join me in Mark chapter 4. We're going to do verses 1 through 20 in just a minute. But if you have your phones or if you have a Bible, go ahead and pull those out. Mark chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 1. Jay-Z, my oldest son, um, anytime we're, we're leaving the house, I say, hey, man, go ahead and grab a book or and on your way out, make sure you, you lock the door, lock the bottom lock uh, on your way out. Me and your your brother, we're going to go uh, to the car, and we're going to wait on you. And there have been two instances over the past, I would say, month and a half where, you know, we'd be driving off. He'd he get in the car with his book. We'd drive off, and I'll say, hold on. Let me stop for a second. Let me go back and check to see if the door is locked. And there have been two instances in which the door was not just not locked. It wasn't even closed. <laughs> two instances. Um, the screen door is closed, but the front door is wide open. And the only thing we have in there is Nemo. He's like a five-pound Yorkie. And the only thing he can do is bite on your ankle. But nine times out of ten, if you're a stranger, he's just going to hide away from you. So um, the door is not closed. And then the other day, uh, Wednesday, 
or, or I think it was Tuesday, my wife said, hey, what do you want for a dessert? Um, I'm going to try to bake a, a sweet potato pie. Um, but I said, no, no, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll do that next year. I said, I'll, I'll take an apple pie and vanilla ice cream. She said, okay. So we're eating on Thursday. The food is bomb.com. It's filling me up. It's amazing. I'm ready for dessert. She brings the apple pie. I say, babe, where's the ice cream? There's no ice cream. No ice, no vanilla ice cream, at least. And so my, my mother-in-law hooks it up. And you have to wonder sometimes, like, when you're talking to people, like, are you even listening to what I'm saying? Are you even, you're hearing me, but you're not listening to what I'm saying, right? And it's like, uh, because, right, well, no, whipped cream. See, I should have came over to Steph, right? Crazy. Anybody? No. <laughs> no, that's amazing. Um, so it's like you're hearing me, but you're not listening. They say that hearing is an event that doesn't require effort. Um, hearing is actually a, a passive occurrence that requires no attention, no, no effort. And so it's an event that produces a neutrality of action. I mean, like some of you out there today, you hear me, but it's just the sound of my voice. Um, and because of that, you're not going to move. Like you're just going to, you know. But listening, they say that listening is making an effort to understand what you're hearing. Like actually leaning in to what's being said or what's going on around you. Listening requires uh, intentional um, concentration and your undivided attention. You remember in school, let me get your undivided attention, please, or clap, clap, snap, snap, just to get your attention so that you would listen to what's about to happen. Listening is an action that leads to an action, right? So uh, hearing is an event. Listening is an action that leads to an action. I remember growing up, um, I heard, take out the trash. I heard, wash the dishes. And it's funny because some of you are, are we're going to talk about distraction here in a minute. It's going to be so good, like how the enemy just, like the preacher just said something to give you a mighty breakthrough, and the enemy just, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Um, I heard, rake the leaves. And I would wait, and I would wait until the day ended, or I would wait until it got late at night, and I would escape sometime. Especially as I got older, I, I escaped the, the power of the belt. So as I got all older, I'm like, I'm not going to do nothing, so I'm not going to do it. But I would listen to when my parents would tell me, hey, your uncle and your auntie just left $50 on the table. Oh, I'm moving, right? <laughs> or like, your big brother's coming to take you to Disney. Y'all know anything about the mouse? It is a, a blessing to go to Disney. Um, wow, for free. Disney, uh, Universal Studios, Islands of Adventure. It's about the only thing I miss about Florida, but uh, I love the four seasons up here. I, I, I listen, or you can play your PlayStation all day. Oh, I'm up, 5.30 in the morning. I'm up the next day, right? But sometimes hearing doesn't, um, doesn't give us the long-term dividends that we need. And uh, listening to the things that we want to listen to don't always give us the dividends that we need in life. Um, what if we started to listen to the people and the things that we actually needed to listen to in life? What if we started to listen to the people and the things that we needed to listen to in life? Um, Jesus dealt with this. As a preacher, as a, as a teacher, as an orator, he would often have crowds of people, and uh, he had mixed crowds. Some would listen, some would fall asleep, some would uh, lean in and write attentively because they, they wanted something from, from God. They wanted to not just hear now. We may want to change the series to listen now. They wanted to, to listen now. Um, 
some of you are out there and you're thinking, oh my God, this is like the last day of my Thanksgiving break. Why am I up this early in church? I could be sleeping in on Sunday. Some of you are thinking about lunch and what it is you're going to eat. Others of us are out there trying to wake up. Um, but then there are some of you who are out there and your note page is already full and I'm just still on my introduction because I've been dropping bombs for the past 10 minutes because you're listening, just dropping them. You're listening. And, and it encourages me as a preacher that when you lean in, I can give you more. But when you don't lean in, I'm back here and I don't know what to do. I'm only human up here, so I need you guys to help me out. Let's clap it up. Let's loosen up a little bit this morning. We're intimate, and as this church grows, what we're trying to do is build a culture of celebration and expectation. Because you shouldn't just come to church just to, just to hear, but you should come to church to listen so that you can go out there and change the world and have victory in your life. So as our church grows, we're going to actually want to show people who don't know Christ how to engage the word of God and how that it can bear fruit in their lives. And so he dealt with this. Um, some people would be present, but it didn't mean that they were perceiving what was being said or what was being done. Um, do, you know, do you know that it's possible to be present yet absent at the same time? Yeah. Like, you can be a father in the home or a husband, but yet not engage your children or your marriage at the level that they need you to. It's like being absent. Um, you can be in the classroom, teachers killing it, like giving you all the answers for your final. You're not even listening. You're not even learning. You can be at work. And not doing your job. It's possible to be present, yet absent at the same time. I got to laugh on that. There's actually research to confirm that. Um, I think it was the National Bureau of um, uh, Workplace, something. I was, I was reading this. And uh, they, they did a survey of thousands of people across, across a lot of different companies. And the survey identified that people admitted that they didn't work for 56 minutes out of their eight-hour shift. Some of us, less than that. And I wonder if we clocked in and out for 80 hours, what if when we got our paycheck, it reflected a 70-hour work week? And you, and you go to your manager, and it'd be like, hey, I work for 80 hours. And your manager's like, hey, I paid you according to what you did, not according to how you clocked in. It's about going all the way in order to get the benefit. That's a whole nother message. That's actually next week. But it's possible to be present where God is, but not receive the instruction that God gives. I'm, I'm going to go in again here. I'm going to read my notes because I don't want to miss it. Jesus is saying to us this morning, lean in and hear now. How you engage the present instruction is how you will experience your future expectation. God has a plan for every single soul in this building this morning. And how you engage what God is saying today through man. I mean, but even aside from me, go to your own Bible. Go find your own preacher on YouTube. I don't care what you do. But how you engage the instruction today will determine if your experience collides with the expectation that you have. So we're going to go to Mark 4, 1 through 20, and I got to pick it up. Verse 1 says this, classic story. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him. So he got into a boat, then he sat in the boat while the people remained on the shore. Jesus was so awesome, he would often use the mountains as like sound inflection. So he used everything to his advantage in order to get his, uh, his message out. He would separate himself from the crowd and use different parts of the land in order for people to hear him. Because he didn't have a microphone, but he used to have to speak to like 5,000, 10, 15,000 people. So he would bring them into environments where they could hear him clearly. He was a genius. And so he taught them by telling them many stories in the, forms of, in the form of parables, such as this one. Verse 3, listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered seed, uh, as he scattered it across his field, 
Some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on a shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. Um, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. The other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and 100 times as much as they had planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Love this. So you got ears. Don't just hear, but listen. All right? Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples, they're like, man, what did that parable mean? He said, you are, watch this, this is key, you are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God. You got to understand that there are two dimensions that are a reality and that operate in this world. It's the kingdom of God and it's the kingdom of the world. It's the kingdom of light and it's the kingdom of dark. There's a spiritual dimension and there's a physical dimension, okay? And so he says, these are the secrets to the kingdom of God. But I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. It was said that the, prophecy, uh, the, the Messiah would come and teach this way. And, and the prophecy was this. When they, see, when they see what I do, they will not learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. I'll explain that in a second. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? Jesus was tough on his disciples. Like, we think Jesus is like some lily in the field type uh, 1970s hippie type dude, man. Like, no, Jesus was like, Jesus challenged you at your core because there's too much on the inside of you to just allow you to sit there and not fulfill your calling and your destiny. That's the Lord that we serve. Clap that up. If that's good, that's good. And so the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They, fell, uh, they fall away as soon as they have problems and they are persecuted for believing God's word. Verse 18. The seed that fell among thorns represents uh, others who hears God's words, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, the desire of other things, so no fruit is produced. Verse 20 in conclusion says this, and the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accepts God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. Now, Jesus taught in parables, these are practical stories that illustrate spiritual truths. So a lot of times you'll see when I'm preaching during my points, you, you think I'm veering off from the scripture. I'm not. What I'm doing is I'm, I'm trying to draw you in to the level in which you understand. So a lot of times when I teach, I teach a lot of context out front for the first 15 minutes or so. We go into points so that you can go outside there and apply these things to your life. And this is the way that Jesus taught because he taught the normal person. The Pharisees, who were too smart for their pants, oftentimes didn't understand what Jesus was teaching. And they would judge his teaching as being too shallow. These were your PhDs. These were your doctorates in ministry. These were your masters of divinity. They would come and sit under Jesus and they would dis discredit everything he said. Because it was too shallow. It was too simple. It wasn't deep enough. He didn't line everyone up and lay hands on them and they fall out. He didn't sit in the library and say, thus says the Lord, the Lord thy God and all this. And then you leave confused. He spoke to the point in which you would understand. That's how Jesus preached. Okay. And so those that listened sought to understand that those that heard would not understand, not because they couldn't, but because they had hardened hearts. Okay. Verse three says, listen. And so he talks about this farmer who scatters seed. This is so amazing to me. So back then, farmers had bags. I wish I had illustration. They had a bag around their shoulder, around their hip. And so this would used to be the, the ground. And so they would just used to go and throw. 
throw, throw. And as they're throwing, seed is falling out of the bag, but they're just throwing. And so they didn't aim to put it in a line like we do now. We have different machines that line up the, the fills and that till the ground. And, uh, and so we just kind of dip it because we have technology. They were just used to throw. And so Jesus uses the symbolism to tell you that uh, 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 the word of God and the instruction of God and the promise of God is just thrown out liberally. Oh, someone caught that. It's just thrown out liberally, like whoever. It's just scattered out. And so what he's saying is, is that these four soils represent the condition of the hearts of the world. And it's not representing a person because your, your, your heart isn't always thorny, nor is your heart always fertile, nor is my heart as a pastor. There's a lot of times that God is trying to tell me something while I'm reading his word, but because I'm just worried about the cares of the world, he actually can't speak to me because I'm focused on something else. But then there are seasons where I'm ready to receive the word of God, and he just speaks, and it just begins to produce fruit, and it begins to sprout up, and God just begins to bless. So he's just saying, I'm, I'm throwing out promises. I'm throwing out instruction. I'm throwing out freedom. I'm, I'm throwing out liberty. I'm throwing out clarity. I'm throwing out power. I'm just whatever you need, I'm throwing it out. But it all depends on how you come into my presence. Are you ready to receive what I have to say? Are you ready to listen? Are you ready to lean in? And so they would have understood that, wow, Jesus is actually saying that the word of God is for everyone. Because the Pharisees kept the Bible locked up. They kept it locked up. The common man didn't have the Torah. They didn't have access to the law. They had to go to the synagogue. Jesus is saying the word of God and the prophets is for everybody. Okay? And so he goes on to say this. He says, verse 9, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I got four points. We're going to pull out plenty of time. I'm going to give you four points as to the, the title of this message, I'm sorry, is um, to hear or to listen. I want to give us four points about just how important it is to come to church in the posture of listening. I'm not going to lecture you. I think the lecture is over. Now it's really time to dig a little deeper, see the value of listening to God. Uh, I was raised in the church, gave my life to Christ at 19. I mean, I, I would go to church all the time. And to me, it was just a big old show and a big old emotional experience. Uh, but when I started to listen is when it became real at the age of 19. Point number one is this. Healthy attraction deals with distraction. Healthy attraction deals with distraction. Mark 4 verse 15 says this. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Like what, I was listening to one of my favorite bishops not too long ago, and this kind of blew my mind. He said, did you know that uh, 25% of activity that happens during a sermon that God is involved in, 25% of activity is demonic? I didn't just make that up. Jesus just said that. Like as seed is scattered, 25% of activity is demonic. The word goes out, snatched. The word goes out, a text, snatched. The word goes out, distraction, snatched. Someone moves, snatched. And it's not the movement of that person. It's, it's the, the devil's agenda is to get you away and distracted and detached from the word of God. So he's going to do anything he can during the 45-minute to an hour sermon to not allow you to experience breakthrough and to receive the word that God has for your life. Some of you right now, you're falling into a slumber. Snatched. Snatched. <laughs> oh, boy. We're on it this morning. You, you guys ought to know, like, when we came here to plant a church, it's for real. Because when you come here, we don't preach fluff to get the numbers. Like, I, I could Joel Osteen you all day. I'm not saying anything about him, but this is our Bible, and we're going to declare what it says about us and what we say about it and all that. And, 
God loves you. He wants to empower you. You go walk, go and walk out there, and the devil go punch you, and he go knock you out. <laughs> but we go equip you up in here. We go make you feel funny. Someone clap that up. I don't know if I want to come back to this church. It's too tough. Better wake up. Just snatched. Go make me move to point number two, man. What am I saying? Anyway. So follow me. I'm going back into my parable. So I was attracted to my wife before I knew she was my wife. I, I would go to at Barnes and Nobles and I would read. I would study. I remember the first time I saw her, she was sitting on the bottom floor. I used to go up to the top. I just kind of came down the stairs, smiled. <laughs> and so I would read, I would study, and then I would start to look out for her. Like, when she go come? I got to put this on. Get, get in the mirror, put this on. And so, um, just so happened, finally one day, like, the entire store was busy. And there was one chair at my table, and we met, and we started talking. Um, I, I used to study for the MCAT, so I had all my pre-med books, and I had my Bible, and, and, and my concordance, and, and my Greek, and Hebrew, Old Testament, and all that. I, I was so confused whether I was going to go medicine or ministry. <laughs> and so... But, you know, before my attraction to her, I was anchored in an attraction for the word of God. So that my attraction to her didn't become a distraction from the promises in the word of God. And actually what started to happen is that my attraction for the word of God was attractive to her. And not just that, my attraction for the word of God developed in her heart an affinity and a desire for the word of God. And so I like to say this, as Christians, you're either going to change your friends or your friends are going to change you. I determined a long time ago that I'm going to change my friends. They're not going to change me. And so she, de- she developed this affinity and some things are an acquired taste. Like I get it, like the King James, the thuses and the these and the thous and the shouts, like it's an acquired taste. Like I don't even understand this stuff like that. Um, You know, like for me, I I talked about cheesecake last week. Like I didn't like cheesecake like four or five years ago. It became an acquired taste. I I tasted and I tried tried different types and then I started to love cheesecake. The word of God is as such. It's an acquired, y'all see, y'all want me behind the Bible all day. I'm trying to preach like Jesus. The word of God is as such. You got to, you got to try it out. And even when you don't understand, you need to sit there for an extra hour. You need to ask God to bring you some clarity. And so um, the psalmist said it like this. My, like, man, I used to not like it, but now I like it. Psalm 119, 102, 104, he says this. I haven't turned away from your regulations, your word, for you have taught me well. Man, I didn't know it was this good. How sweet your words taste to me. They're sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. I didn't know. No wonder I hate every false way of life. Now nothing can compare to the word of God in my life, is what the psalmist is saying. And so just practically, um, you got to develop a healthy attraction. You need to find you a Bible that you understand. A lot of people ask me a lot, like, why don't you do King James or NKJV? And I'm like, because we don't talk like that no more. <laughs> I don't even know what they be saying. And then I, then, I, then I console them. I'm like, look, I studied that stuff five years straight, every word in it, up and down. I probably wrote my own commentaries. But when I'm preaching to people, a generation that doesn't even really read Scripture, we're the most illiterate generation of all time. You think I'm going to bring King James up here? No. God gives us translators and translations. Now, as you learn the Bible, you need to double check your sources. Where is this coming from? What does this mean? Get a Bible you understand. I also say this. Find a pastor or a preacher whose teaching you enjoy. Their teaching is clear. It's practical. And it, it, it does something. It's relevant in your life. YouTube has a lot of them. I could put some out there, but I want you to come to my church, not theirs. So I listen to them all day. I'll probably put some of my uh, favorites on uh, this evening. Uh, 
and find a friend who has an affinity and an, an attraction for the word stronger than yours. They're going to challenge you to come up, and you're going to thank God for them in the end. The enemy of your soul doesn't want the seed of God to take root in your heart. Watch this. Distraction means to pull apart. I like this because seed was created for the soil, and soil was created for the seed. Seed in Scripture represents the Word of God. The Word was created for your heart, and your heart was created for the world. If they're separated, they can't have the impact that they're designed to have. If your heart is not getting the word of God, chances are you're not producing the fruit that God has in store for you to produce in your life. Why am I lacking peace? Why do I lack faith? Why do I lack love, expectation? It's simply because you're distracted. In times you should be in your Bible, you're on Instagram. In times you should be in your Bible, you're reading someone else's quotes. In times you should be in your Bible, you're reading a blog. In times we're in our Bible, we're watching TV. We're distracted. Oh, boy. This is a growing message. Your heart was not designed for heavy doses of social media. Your heart was, woo! Your heart was designed for heavy doses of the word of God. Clap that up, y'all, too stiff up in here. Uh, point number two, a shallow heart is no match for a hard life. A shallow heart is no match for a hard life. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just tired of being informed by people's opinions. If, if what you have to say has nothing to do with what God has to say, it's null and void. There's some seasons, this is not even in my message, I'm wasting time. There are just some seasons where I put away social media. I just put it away. Because it's a vortex, like it's a vacuum that sucks you into other people's nonsense. And it does nothing for us that, but paralyzes our progress. A shallow heart is no match for a hard life. Mark 4, 16 through 17, the seed on, a rocky soil, on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems and are persecuted for believing God's word. Now, they say soil depth is um, essential for, for plants, I mean, yeah, for seeds and crops. So soil depth have, has a few benefits. Um, number one, it, it, uh, it helps to, to get more, more moisture into the plant. So some of you know this stuff better than me, but whatever, I'm, I'm going to go with it. Um, it helps to get more moisture into the plant. It also helps with the, the anchorage. So a plant's not leaning or it doesn't snap. Um, also, plant height. So there's this, what you call it, a, uh, a root-to-stem to ratio or something like that. Like, if, if the soil is deep enough and if a plant is meant to grow this tall, it will. But in some cases, if it's not deep enough, it'll only sprout this tall. So it doesn't grow at the extent that it should. Um, another thing that it's good for is, uh, yep, uh, crop development. And so um, this spoke something to me. Soil that lacks depth can produce a sprout, but as soon as a plant sprouts, it immediately dies. So, um, because it doesn't have enough depth to support the root system that it needs to have. Um, that's interesting because even when, when the soil is deficient, the plant still sprouts. This tells me something about, about the seed. This tells me that the seed is designed to withstand any circumstance. So the problem isn't the seed. The problem is the shallowness of our hearts in certain seasons. The problem isn't the preacher's message. 
And I'm not just talking about me. I'm standing for all pastors right now. The problem is the shallowness and the depths in which limit the word of God from actually taking root in our heart. And so, like, in the seed, there's vision, but we don't see it. In the seed, there's deliverance. In the seed, there is purpose. In the seed, there's the direction of how you can find community. In the seed, there's power. But when our hearts are shallow, we don't give the seed a chance. And the thing about a shallow heart being no match for a hard life is that life itself can cause us to be down and defeated. Um, just recently, uh, not recently, but since we moved here, my wife and I, we've known that there's been a need to pray for our family's health. Like, we knew moving here, as soon as we got here, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit said, we need to pray for our family's health. And, man, it's been a battle for the past two to three months, namely, specifically with our oldest son. Um, broke his ankle two months ago. Um, just had major surgery in his torso area uh, Wednesday. Um, he needs surgery in this area to loosen up some sinuses. Just got on Friday, uh, we need to pick up a hematology consult form because there may be something wrong with his blood. And you know as human beings, the first thing you think when you hear hematology is cancer. In between all that, uh, about two weeks ago, Judah sick from the stomach, and he hasn't eaten healthy since. Like, all he's eating is cereal for the past three weeks. Um, she's been having GI issues. I was throwing up the other day. Now my tooth is just acting up for no, like I'm preaching with pain right now. And so, um, like you ask yourself, like, especially when you serve God, we, we all come to that moment where we're like, God, like we are serving and like believing in you. Why such hardship? Why? Why? But we've had some seed that we've accepted. John 16, 33 says this, a few seeds here. John 16, 33. Jesus, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. That's a seed. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. Seed. But take heart. Seed. Because I have overcome the world. Seed. You, you just completely dismantled the enemy's agenda in your life. Four seeds, one verse. Four seeds, one verse, done. And we read verses like that all the time, and we just skip on over them, and we miss the power in them. And I want to say this. All the problems and concerns for our family's health, and you, you apply it to your life however you may, that could, should, and would otherwise take us out, and keep us from following God and the promise and the purpose he has on our lives. They could, but they don't, they can't, and they won't. Because we've tilled the soil of our hearts. And we said, God, we're not going to stay shallow in our hearts about your word. We're not going to stay shallow in our hearts about your promises. We're not going to stay shallow in our hearts about how much time we give you in this word. And so as a result, we've said that we're going to till our hearts so that the promises of God would overpower the promises of life. Someone has to clap that up right now, because when you clap, you affirm that in your life. And you can apply that across the board. Relationship confusion, job layoff, diagnosis, your children running rampant. Your husband's crazy. Apply the seed and you'll get what you need. You'll get what you need. A shallow heart is no match for a hard life. You don't stand a chance. But the word of God is for you. Number three. We need to prioritize the seed. 
Mark 4, 18 through 19 says this. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. Now, this word worries is the temptations are desires, not concerns like we just talked about. The lure of wealth and the desire for other things so no fruit is produced. This one is interesting to me. Um, actually, I almost cut this point out. This one is a, is a tough one, but we're going we're gonna to work through it. So the seed is an indication of what's to be, right? Um, a promise is a declaration that something will or will not happen. This particular thorny soil indicates growth. So we see some sprouting here, right? Some greater sprouting than, than our, our, our rocky, shallow soil. It produces the appearance of long-term growth. Like these are, these are the lives in certain seasons where, you know, you're on fire for God for three months, six months, nine months, a year. And it's like, okay, they're growing, they're rocking, you know? And we, we all experience this sometimes. And then all of a sudden they disappear. Like, man, I haven't seen them in church in months. Like, what's going on? Or it seems as though they've turned back to their old ways. What happened, we ask? What happened was, according to Jesus, the desires of the world kicked in. Okay? And we have to understand that if our hearts are soil, we got to understand that these two kingdoms are consistently competing for room in our hearts. Like the agenda of the world and what the world says, and the word of God. It tells me that seeds are here, and that you have this stuff growing, and you have the kingdom of God stuff growing. So I want peace, I want purity, I want to forgive, I want to work this out, but I want to pursue money, I want to pursue status, I want to pursue this, this, and this, and that. These things essentially within themselves are not bad things. But when they're not accounted for, they're harmful. These things are always the better things. And so Jesus is sitting here and he's saying that the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness are competing for soil in your hearts. And he, 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10 says this, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Now, let's not just take rich for, like, rich for money, because you can be rich in, in different things, even though this text is surrounding uh, uh, money. Uh, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. What he's saying is, is that, yeah, money, but what he's saying is that, is that in life, when you prioritize things and you put them in a position that's greater than the word of God, what it ultimately leads to is you being pierced through with many sorrows. And so there's a need to prioritize the seed. The Bible says uh, to allow the word of Christ to dwell richly in you. So if this is dwelling richly in me, what room does this stuff have in my heart? Right? My last point is really going to pick us up. It's going to be so good. It's, man, you're gonna, I'm reading my Bible five hours tonight. It's going to be good. I got to massage these tough points, man, because I, I believe I'm called here this morning to help align us back to what, what truly matters. And so... Either the cares of this world choke me out, or I have to pull out my weed whacker and chop them out. And the, the, the sad part about the things of the world is that they can be taken away from us at any moment. We can succeed. We can have that relationship. We can have that marriage. We can have that car. We can have that money. And then cancer comes. Gone. Infidelity happens gone. You get laid off, gone. What that person promised you, they ain't promising now, they're gone. 
And when we prioritize these things, that's when we get choked. And we're like, God, I, I thought, I, I, no, you didn't think because you didn't stay, you didn't stay rooted. You didn't stay rooted. And so we can't prioritize a dying world over his living word. Clap that up. Affirm that in your life. Affirm that in your life. Point number four, perfect timing. We're done. I'll call the worship team up in a second. Thank you. Point number four, when the root grows, the fruit shows. I'm going to help us out because I made a drastic mistake in college, and this is going to pull it in. So verse 20 says this, the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now, I, I love 100-fold because 100-fold is, you know, so say you, you did 20 seeds. Let's just do a quantifying equation here. Let's not get beyond ourselves. Say you do 20 seeds. 40 seeds is not 100 if it produces 40 uh, uh, crops. It's not 100. It's actually one. It's like double, but it's one. A um, hundredfold would be like 20 times 100. And so whenever you would see, um, whenever you see a hundredfold in the Bible, what God is trying to tell us is that it's not just 20 times 100, but it's potentially even more than 20 times 100. It's the most that you can get from God. It's, it's, it's the most. It's the highest blessing that you can get. And so what he's saying is, is that when the word of God has fell on good soil, you can't even quantify or measure the return of it in your life over time. So Jesus is saying that these type of hearts, they just stick with the promises. They stick with the word, and in time, they see it manifest. Honestly, love each and every one of you, but you all, for me personally, you're fruit of prayers and of leaning into his promises over the past six years, six years that have not been easy. But I love what I get to do in your life, your fruit. When God promised me this church, when he promised me that he would use me to change lives, he was thinking of you and the hundreds and thousands more that are out there. So I have to continue to allow his seed to come into my life because, to be honest, I don't want to quantify his blessing. I don't want to quantify his blessing. So back in college, uh, I took a statistics final. <sighs> Man. And so, yeah, I know. Statistics is crazy. So the, the professor, during the last day of our, our normal class, he said, all right, this is your review packet. Take it home, study it, and here are your answers. He said the review packet is the final exam. He said, uh, the final exam will give you, uh, if you, if you do the final and you bring the review packet, you're going to get plus 20 points or minus 20 points on your final. Could you imagine that while he was talking, I was packing my bag, rushing to leave because I was worried about how much freedom I was going to have. I was so concentrated on the freedom of the end of the semester. And um, I rushed out of there, and I studied my packet, and I came back that next week, ready for my final. No packet in hand, no anything. I'm just ready. And I see all my classmates with their packets, and they're studying it. I say, okay, let me, let me take a look. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for that. I'm ready for that. Cool. No one thought to tell me that I should have brought my packet because it was going to be the exam, and it was going to get me 20 extra points or minus 20 points. No one thought. No one even thought about me. I would have rushed back home and picked it up. So I took my test. And while I'm taking my test, I'm wondering why all of my classmates have their packets. And they're copying off their packets, and they're putting their answers on their finals. And I'm like, does the professor not see this? And God is like, do you not see what, what I said? And so... I turn it in, good, get my final grade, 
um, he would email us our grades and send personal messages on how amazing the semester was to be a student. And uh, he said, you scored a 90%, but I graded you a 70. Um, I said, okay, great. He said, you could have scored 110%. The entire class except for you scored 120%. And I had an 83.5B. Oh, boy, this is good. He said, your final grade would have been an A-. minus, But on your final grades, you're going to get a C. I would have just kept the B. And when I was studying for this, I remembered that I did that. Because what, what if it would have been this? A, a D in college is passing. It could have been the difference between a C, which is a better grade, and an F. Ah. Ah. Sometimes the gap in the bridge between failing in certain areas of life and passing is listening. It's listening. And I hope at this point you've been listening. Because my, room, my, my classmates, they got the 100-fold. I was either the shallow soil, the rocky soil, or the wayside. Because I heard my professor, but I wasn't listening. And what I want to say, another thing this thing preached to me was that whatever the professor had to say was for my good. God's word, when it's proclaimed, come on up, worship team, is for your good. It's for your passing. It's for your acceleration. It's for your prosperity. It's for your peace, your joy, your power, your purpose, your clarity. God's word is not against you. It's for you. The word of God is given for our passing, not our failing. What I want to do is I want to pray over this word. Let's bow our heads. Give yourselves a hand clap. Thank you for listening so much. I want to pray over this word. Father God, we, we honor you this morning. God, I pray that the seed that was casted forth this morning would find fertile ground. Lord, that it would take root in our lives. God, that we would seek out your promises in Scripture, that we would seek out your truth, that, Lord, our lives would be altered by it, that our everyday would be informed by your loving instruction. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for being the word. Thank you, Lord, that your word never fails. Thank you, God, that we can look to your word and find hope in our lives. Thank you, God, that we can find freedom and deliverance. Thank you, God, that we can be anchored in your word. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Amen.